Oh, man. This is the most exciting thing I've seen since Halley's Comet collided with the moon. That never happened, Dad. Sure it didn't. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Happy Friday. Happy weekend to you, wherever you may be. Let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today? Doing awesome as usual to my favorite fantabulous Floridians. Fantabulous Floridians. That yep. sounds like one of those uh, favorite. Uh, it's almost like in Miami, you could go in and see men dressed up as women uh-huh. quite floridly uh-huh. in Florida, putting on quite the show. It's La Caja Faux all over again. Hey, what's up, girl? <laughs> and Benny, you should Love join it. us because you would look fabulous. Thank you. I know I would, actually. <laughs> I have a good sense of, uh, you know, I should say, uh, the repertoire and in, 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 in selecting my uh, apparel and or I have really good taste in shoes, by the way, just to let you know. I mean, I think I have a good oh, taste. Really? Yeah, exactly. And I coordinate. Yes, men, you could do it, too. Not just me. Well, everyone. This is interesting <laughs> for somebody. I don't know about your public life, but you are oh, well there. known oh, oh. behind the board at KKNW you have been for years. There's kind of a sequestered feeling when you work in that capacity. So if you have a stylish Benny out in the world, I'm proud of you for that. Thank you very much. It's an alias name, but I'm not going to give it out on the air. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, that's just fine. Kidding. That's... I'm telling you, there's always something new to learn about this guy. Uh, so fun. Well, today we are very fortunate. Again, this gentleman is one of our favorite human beings that we've never met. That's true. You and I swear up and down that we're going to. We're going to. to. We're going to. When we're free to move about the country. Yes. That would be fantastic to go to the Wasatch Front, to Salt Lake City, and to meet up with Christopher Renstrom, who is renowned, and I say that without hype, renowned as an astrologer and a historian of astrology as well. I wish he would write a book about that someday. I'm going to give him some very friendly encouragement in that regard. But he's got a book out now. Oi, such a book he's written. Christopher Renstrom is the creator of RulingPlanets.com, an online astrology site based on his best-selling book, Ruling Planets, which is now out of print. He currently writes the daily horoscopes for the San Francisco Chronicle and SFGate.com. Renstrom also lectures on the history of astrology in America from pre-revolution to modern times and runs ruling planet workshops around the country. We'll be sure to give out his website before the end of the hour, but I'll give you a clue. It's rulingplanets.com. And we are so thrilled with this friend we have never met in person, Christopher Renstrom. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. And yes, we do have to meet in person one day. It's been so long. <laughs> I know it has. It's been a lot of years that we've had you on the radio. And you know, you've been on the show a lot of times where we've been talking about ruling planets being out of print. And when are you going to write the next book? How many well, times have we talked about that? And now you have. <laughs> here it is. The Cosmic Calendar. The Cosmic Calendar, Christopher, is an elegant book, and oh, I reserve you. that kind of praise for books that 
that are more than didactic, more than simply informative. You've written a book that entices the reader to enter the world of astrology, to get into the sphere of it, and that's quite an accomplishment. Kudos. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's, that was really my, my mission with this book, was to write something that was very accessible and very friendly to the reader and not something daunting or, 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 or intimidating. You know, I think astrology can be daunting. I've been following my sun sign since I was a small child, practically, uh, always being proud of, of being an Aries. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, the, the, the older I got and the more I got into it, the more complex it seems to me. There yeah. are so many pieces and parts to an astrological puzzle that it's very difficult to put them together. And and with this book, The Cosmic Calendar, Using Astrology to Get in Sync with Your Best Life, that's the subtitle, I read every word of it, and the payoff came way, way, way at the end, because you're reading about all these various component pieces and parts, and in the last chapter, you put them all together. And oh. Gary and I had fun putting together our cosmic calendars. And I thought maybe you could just explain what a cosmic calendar is. Let's look at the big picture first. Sure, sure. Well, astrology is a calendar to begin with. Um, you know, many people will say astrology is a science or astrology is a religion. But the fact of the matter is, uh, astrology is neither of those things. It's a calendar. It's why every civilization on the planet, whether it's um, you know, Mesoamerican or Middle Eastern or Asian or indigenous peoples here in, in the United States of America have created some form of astrology. And that was in order to tell time. So that's why it's so pervasive. That's why you'll see astrological images in synagogues and churches and government buildings. You know, again, it wasn't about the superstition or anything, but it was because you were seeing these zodiac signs representing the different months of the year. And and it's the way that we see, uh, you know, we experience the sun moving through all four seasons, and the planets also will move through all four seasons um, in an ast- that is mirrored in an astrological chart. So the purpose of astrology was never to be like, you know, you're fated to have a horrible life or anything like that. The purpose of astrology was to give a sense of continuity, you know, that, that everyone goes through a season of spring, everyone goes through a season of fall, um, that you can go through a period of your life where you feel like you're in the darkest winter, but you know that it's not going to last forever. You're, uh, you're, you're not always going to be uh, struggling with, with those issues. And so not only was astrology reassuring, like, you know, um, the winter will be followed by the spring, um, but it also gave an actual time, uh, a, a, a time deadline, you know, X amount of weeks or whatever till the beginning of spring. And the astrological chart works the same way, too. You know, you may go through rough patches of, uh, you know, in your life, but the astrological chart in, is, gives you the ability to see when that's going to happen and how long that's going to happen. And, and that's uh, what we unpack and get into with the cosmic calendar. When you look at the sky, when when the ancients looked at the sky, my understanding from you and many conversations that we've had over the years is that they were looking to they were looking at the sky to determine when was a good time to plant crops, 
When right. was a good time to go to war? When was a good time to harvest? So right. that they were they were using that because they didn't have a little 12-month calendar that they hung on the wall in their kitchens. No. They looked up <laughs> at the sky and said, oh, this is a good time for us to be planting. And so my the, the correlation that I make with the cosmic calendar is because um, we don't sync up exactly with the with what's going on on the earth where you live what time if it's spring or summer or fall we each have our own season based on when we were born do i right. have that right yes you do we each have our own starting point you know imagine a, a, a new year's day that floats through a calendar depending on when someone was born i mean basically your birthday is like your new year's and that's probably the best way to think of it you know, for instance, Suzanne, you mentioned that you're an Aries, so your spring, your your season is going to be the spring. Your birthday is in the spring. It's actually the spring equinox, so that's pretty easy. Your your, your life's going to work pretty much like a civic calendar, like a calendar that everyone else plots their life by. But Gary, for instance, is a Virgo, so his uh, birthday or his beginning of the year starts off in um, late August, early September. That's the beginning of his year. And, and the reason that it works like that is that this, in astrology, um, everything is seen from the Earth's point of view rather than the sun's. So we see, in astrology, we see the sun and the moon and the other planets as orbiting us. So when the sun comes back to your birthday every year, it kind of reignites or rekindles the energy, the solar energy of your life. So this is when you sort of experience being in season, when, when, when you feel like, ah, oh, this is me, you know, like, like the sun is back in my corner of the chart again. And so this is always the beginning. This is, this is kind of like your own personal spring, regardless of where spring may fall um, in the civic calendar. Christopher, you've just given me a beaut of a question. I had never even considered this until just now. So let me see if I can get the right words together. Based on what you said, I am wondering if prior to Copernicus and Galileo, who, when they made their findings known, ran into a little trouble in town, if prior to that time, if there was an Earth-centric viewpoint about the universe and its mechanisms and machinations, did that have a lot to do with the refinements of astrology deep in human history precisely because they looked at it from Earth being central to their cosmology as opposed to realizing scientifically that in fact we revolve around the Sun instead. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in fact, this is what causes the huge crisis um, uh, this is why uh, Galileo's discovery is repressed by the Pope in, in 1609, um, because if you changed the centrality of the universe from the Earth to the Sun, all right, then the Earth wasn't so special. It wasn't God's unique creation anymore. It was one of many planets and one of, indeed, according to uh, Giordano Bruno, one of many worlds. Um, and so to move the, the to, to 
to change the uniqueness and, 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 and specialness of God's creature, which is basically mankind, which lived on this world that was created to God, and to make it one of many was an extraordinary spiritual crisis, uh, not only in the Catholic Church, but also in the uh, Reformation movement. And this, of course, is, you know, moves the Enlightenment forward and, 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 and the age of science starts moving more to its ascendancy. But, you know, it's hard for us to imagine, but that was an extraordinary crisis of, of, of faith and, 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 and looking at the world when that shift was made. And it was very hard to convince people of it because they were still looking at a sun that was rising in the morning and moving across the sky during the day and setting at night. And so it looked like everything orbited us. So, so that was a hard one for people to wrap their minds around. In much the same way that people had to go from being uh, knowing that the Earth was flat, and if you sailed too far, you would actually fall off the edge, uh, versus the fact that the Earth is round. I mean, you, you've got two things going on, and I don't know what the time frame is on both of those, but um, definitely taking a look at the world in a very, very different way from everything that you've known up to that point. And, and you know, I think that goes on even today, uh, mm -hmm. Christopher, yeah. when when we are so settled in our thinking, when our thinking is so rutted, we know how things are. We know deep down in our bones how things are. And then all of a sudden, uh, a switch gets flipped, and wow, maybe things aren't the way I thought that they were. That, and look that, at people's reaction shocking. to it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, very people shocking. have a very, very uh, volatile reaction to it. And even the Earth flat thing is is funny because, you know, the belief of Earth being flat is actually, I think, it's an early medieval belief because the ancient civilizations knew full well that the Earth was a globe. They, they wouldn't have been able to sail, um, navigate these extraordinary um, <laughs> uh, ship journeys that that they did. <laughs> so, so, you know, the sea bearing people at least knew that the earth was a globe, you know, but I think it's later, um, maybe it's the period of the early medieval when the church is taking over and it's more like landlocked when it becomes, when that flat earth thing starts, but actually the older cultures and certainly the Pacific Island cultures all knew that the earth was, was a globe. Which just proves that there's nothing like hands-on experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, if it were, you know, I mean, they were coming back and they were like, you know, navigating these long journeys between islands and they wouldn't have been able to do that if they were like scared that they were going to fall off the edge of the earth or anything like that. And that is, can you imagine going through life thinking of earth and perhaps the universe being a flat plane and there's right. an edge that becomes a kind of cosmological constant here is the boundary. Do not go past here, or you're going to what? Sail into the void. Fall off. Cease to exist. Yeah. Cease to have any sense of meaning and not able to communicate it to your fellows. That well, is amazing. I can see where that would have terrified a lot of seafaring people. Well, they had a very funny belief also in the medieval period that everyone who lived in the southern hemisphere was upside down. And even some of them had like no heads. <laughs> like, I mean, there's, some, there's some really extraordinary images that that come out of come out of that. But 
what else do you want from monks copying Bibles locked up in a landlocked country somewhere and, you know, one misprint or, or whatever changes the image or changes the biblical text? I mean, it's kind of extraordinary how, um, how much history perseveres. Uh, despite what's been dumped on it, you know, like, like, you know, we're we're going to say that this is a bad thought or a wrong thought or this is unscientific or this is unreligious, and you know, it, it's kind of extraordinary how much history has really per, uh, persevered and also preserved our narrative through so many centuries when it could easily have gotten completely, you know, destroyed or or erased. It took Disney to humanize all of that. Suzanne and I, I don't even know how many times now, Suzanne, but she and I have gone to Epcot because we live two hours away from Walt Disney World. Okay. And we have taken that wonderful ride. Everybody's seen that giant golf ball, right? Spaceship Earth, or as a friend of ours likes to say, God's golf ball. <laughs> Spaceship Earth, when you take the ride, you, you travel back through history. It's fascinating ride, a wonderful attraction. And when you get to the Middle Ages, you have the scene of two monks separate, separated by their work. That's the only divide between them. On one side of it, as they're working in this room, copying by hand, just as you said, there's yeah. one monk diligently at, diligently at work writing down these manuscripts for contemporary people and all posterity. And just on the other side of them, the other monk is snoozing. He's falling asleep. He was bored by the work, apparently. <laughs> so I don't know if we have his manuscripts. He may not have finished them. <laughs> there, but it does indicate how hand right. by hand and one by one, the human records are kept. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's also extraordinary when you think of astrology because, um, you know, a lot of people think that astrology is, you know, anti-Christian or goes against God or, or, or you, know, you know, is the devil's work or, or something like this. But astrology was preserved in the libraries of monasteries and most particularly the Vatican. Okay, so... so, so there wasn't a bookstore where your astrology book was hang, hanging out. You know, astrology books uh, were preserved and, and, and copied and translated by these monks. So if they were supposed to be, you know, against God's will or, or, or something demonic, it would have been so easy for the church to burn them, you know, the one copy, um, and, and, and to destroy them. So it's kind of remarkable how astrology itself um, is carried through and preserved uh, by by the institution. But of course, we know the reason why the church didn't burn the books is is because the church needed astrology to set its liturgical calendar. And and were the wise men not astrologers? Uh, I've heard that before. Is that yes, true? Not they, true? Don't they, know. They were. They're, they're called Chaldeans or or, or astronomers. But yes. They were uh, reputed to be um, astrologers because they were following uh, the star in the sky, which many people um, speculate was a conjunction between uh, Saturn and uh, Jupiter. And uh, right now, I think there's some articles in the newspapers going around saying that, you know, the current conjunction between uh, uh, Saturn and Jupiter, which is taking place in Capricorn, which is the zodiac sign of Christmas, um, is the first time in 800 years that there's been uh, a reappearance of these two planets 
in that part of the sky that is associated to being the uh, star of Bethlehem. The first time in wow. 800 years, I noticed yeah. that online just yesterday, Christopher, and that's impressive in and of itself. But to your mind, does this once every 800 year phenomenon go all the way all the way back to the biblical time in question, which is at the time of the birth of Christ, was that going on in the skies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was recorded. Um, uh, the Great Conjunction, it's called the Great Conjunction because until we discovered the modern planets, which were uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, the two most outermost planets were Jupiter and Saturn. They were the slow, slowest moving planets. And so for them to form a conjunction, which was typically once every 20 years, was already seen as a big deal. Um, but I don't want it to get too complicated in the width, but they, ha they, they would form a conjunction um, like, like six or maybe nine times in an element before moving on to another element. Um, and so this particular conjunction is forming in Capricorn, which is the zodiac sign of Christmas. And so that's why it had the. Um, that's why it was associated with the Star of Bethlehem, and it has taken 800 years for these two planets to come back and conjoin in Capricorn, which is the zodiac sign of Christmas. So that's why this is being heralded as such a big deal. Um, and 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 they're not really conjoining in Capricorn; they're conjoining in Aquarius. But it's happening around Christmas, and this is what everyone's getting really quite um, excited about. And all of that calls to mind the Playboy cartoon I saw all those <laughs> years ago in which the three magi are heading toward uh, Bethlehem to see, um, see the, the child, the Christ child. And one says to the other two, you know, the word around town is that we're Jesus freaks. <laughs> <laughs> That's very 1970s right there. <laughs> That's exactly when that came out, 1970s. That's right. Fascinating. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Christopher. I am. I also sure. want to mention, because there are people who are waiting for them, it has become customary for Suzanne Mitchell and myself to present the wonderful daily horoscopes. And if you aren't checking them out six days a week, Monday through Saturday, please do. You can find them at rulingplanets.com or you can go to sfgate.com because that's where they are syndicated. But if you want to go to home base, rulingplanets.com and read daily horoscopes and a weekly horoscope as well. Wonderful. You can also subscribe and get a lot of goodies coming your way from Christopher Renstrom and his very erudite pen. Let's go ahead and start with four. I figure I break up into a series of four. We'll get the whole Zodiac covered today. And then we'll get back into this uh, book just before our break and the rest of the hour discussing the Cosmic Calendar, a wonderful, wonderful book using astrology to get in sync with your best life. That's the subtitle. But for today, listen up, Aries, for Friday, December 4, 2020. Don't show your hand too early or you'll give away the game. Bide your time, and you'll recognize the moment to pounce when it comes. And now for Taurus. If someone's wavering, then let them go. Sometimes facing the unknown prospect of an open door is all it takes to get a person to reconsider. Gemini, you can't always be the hare. Sometimes you have to be the tortoise. 
but don't worry about falling behind because you'll come out ahead in the end. And cancer. It took a long time to escape the family orbit, so it's unsettling to be summoned back. Don't fret. You've changed, as have they. Well, that one is definitely worth pondering. Having, And that's something that I like to bring up every time with you, Christopher, in case people don't know. Check out your ascendant, also known as the rising sign. Mine is cancer, so that is portentous in my case there. But whatever your rising sign is says a lot about, and correct me if I'm wrong, Christopher, it says a lot about the face that you present to the world and therefore how you are perceived. But there are some elements of your rising sign that are part of the stamp of your personality. Am I right? You're right. And it's a very, very complex part of the chart. I mean, basically what people will refer to is it as the big three. There's the sun, the moon, and the rising sign. Um, and actually all three, can, uh, I, I've had people writing back saying, oh, this pertains to my moon. So, so I just tell everyone, read it for your sun, read your sun, uh, moon, and rising. But the sun is what I know about myself to be true. So if someone describes the characteristics of your sun sign, you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I recognize that. That sounds like me. The moon will describe what you feel about yourself to be true. That's your inner life or your emotional life. And then the Rising sign is really um, how you, I think the current phrase right now is how you show up, how you present. Um, I, I think that's, that's the way a lot of people talk about it. And you're right, Gary, it's very much the face that you show the world. And because it's the face that you show the world, it's also kind of how you learn to present yourself at, at, at the same time. So there's a kind of back and forth with the rising sign that's taking place. You know, if you present yourself as funny and people are like, hey, you're really funny and you're maybe not in a great, funny, humorous mood, but you'll know that you could always go to a great, funny, humorous mood to win people over. You know, you, it, it becomes a role that you play. And that's kind of like how the rising sign works. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, two things to be said before we take our break. The first is that I get very frustrated and then I just have to deal with that internally when I listen to people who are at times quite cynical and they will say all of this is arbitrary this is gobbledygook this has nothing to do with with what we people are or the way they live their lives these astrologers simply tell people what they want to hear not necessarily what they want to know but what they want to hear and my reply is the same every time you guys don't know how many occasions on which I have read someone's birth chart to them, emphasizing the big three, as Christopher just articulated, and I won their acceptance of what I reported to them through really having to filter it through their reluctance. It's pretty satisfying, even though they're kind of glum for the moment. But when you tell someone <laughs> things about themselves that they know to be true based on their own lifetime of experience, and they say, well, yep, that's me, all right. And they say it a bit reluctantly because it doesn't put them in the best light, but it gives them insight into their nature. Yeah, which is the beauty of astrology. And I'm so glad that I'm so glad that you're doing it well, and I'm so glad that you're doing it sensitively, you know, because sometimes... You know, sometimes that experience can be a little bit like, you know, uh, I've heard people where they get very, you know, this is what your sign is and, and triumphing things and, and things like that. So so one always wants to be sensitive to the person that you're reading for in, in any sort of capacity. We're going to talk more about this is what your sign is 
What's your sign? Speaking of the seventies, and and the fact that (laughs) it may not be the most important thing going on in your cosmic calendar. How about that? And that is the other point we want to get to. Thank you, Suzanne. After the the break, on uh, after the break, more of the cosmic calendar using astrology to get in sync with your best life. The book is by Christopher Renstrom, an astrological expert and an astrologer. Sometimes people say an astrologist. Interestingly enough. He is par excellence, no matter how he is designated. He brings the right stuff. So we'll take our break now. Let's get back to the cosmic calendar. And on the other side, of course, we'll have the next set of four daily horoscopes to read because it's fun. And we hope you're having fun listening to Manson Mitchell right here at the home of Alternative Talk in Seattle, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. More and more these days, it feels like sports are losing out to hype. Who dissed who? Who signed the fattest contract? Who got busted for cheating? Lost 2 is the unique capacity sports have to inspire us, to unite us. Well, great news, sports fans. Sports are still being played for the right reasons. They're still as entertaining as they are character building. You just have to know where to find it. And you only have to look as far as your local Washington High School. You know, the place where the games are exciting, concessions are affordable, and the parking is free. Where the emphasis is on hustle and heart instead of hype. If you prefer real, honest-to-goodness sport played for all the right reasons, you'll find it at your hometown high school, High School Sports. Games are being played this weekend at a Washington High School near you. Okay, everybody. Who's in? This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Christopher Renstrom, who shares astrological insights from his new book, The Cosmic Calendar, Using Astrology to Get in Sync with Your Best Life. On Saturday, Matt Swain returns with more great ghost stories taken from his published work as a paranormal researcher. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Miss a show on KKNW? Check out 1150kknw.com for podcasts of many of our programs. That's 1150kknw.com. 
Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. We are talking with uh, Christopher Renstrom, author of Ruling Planets, now the also the author of The Cosmic Calendar. Christopher, if people would, now Ruling Planets, that's out of print, but Cosmic Calendar, brand new, great, yeah. great holiday gift. Let people uh, know how they can find you, what they can expect, and where they can get Cosmic Calendar. Well, um, you can get Cosmic Calendar on Amazon or any of your local bookstores, wherever books are sold. It's, it's out. It's, it's uh, published by Tartar Perigee, which is um, under the uh, Random House uh, Penguin uh, publishing, publishing company. Um, you can get in contact with me at rulingplanets.com. That's uh, the two words, ruling and planets together, dot com. And uh, you can get readings. You could subscribe to the website where you will learn all about your ruling planet. Uh, it's based on the book. And, um, and so, uh, you know, if you're born under Aries, for instance, you're ruled by the planet Mars. So this uh, ruling planet talks a little bit less about the sun sign and more about the ruling planet, which would be Mars itself. And then you can read about that. And so that also gives extra dimension as well. And it comes with a daily horoscope, a weekly horoscope, and a cosmic alert, uh, giving you a heads up ahead of time about what to expect next in the stars. I love that. that I wonderful. love that. Gary, why don't you go ahead and read the next four, and then I have a, quiz, a question for Christopher. Sounds good. Next up, Leo. Don't let your need to please get ahead of your ability to deliver. People respect you more for being honest about what you can and cannot do. Virgo, it's up to you to draw the line. You hate to say no, but you'll regret it more if you say yes. And let's move on to Libra. If you don't like being caught in the middle, then why stay there? Let conflicting parties go at it. A face-to-face -face confrontation gets them to call a truce. And Scorpio, is someone horning in on your turf or are you being paranoid? It does no harm to reinforce boundaries. Better safe than sorry. We'll have the rest of them here shortly. By the way, quick note, I find that fascinating, Christopher. Uh, your opening line for Leo, don't let your need to please get ahead of your ability to deliver. I have not noticed in my long life that the Leos, Leos were especially worried yeah. about their need to please others. <laughs> <laughs> How about it's an uncharacteristic day? No, they actually do have a need. Well said. <laughs> no, they're, we're joking. But they do have a need to please others. They they care very much what other people think about them. You know, and and, and I think... You know, everyone assumes that they don't, but the fact of the matter is that, is that they care very, very much. Um, and people's approval means a lot to, to Leo's. Okay. That much is true. Okay. And that brings me to the question that I was teasing before the break, and that is that, um, you know, many of us have been reading our sun signs for many, many years and following that. But in the cosmic calendar, you you take a look at where what are the elements that all of your planets are in and it may be that even though you are born under an element fire earth air water it could be that you have a lot of planets in another type of element 
And that right. would definitely affect how your year goes. So I wanted you to say a little bit of, about that, about the elements. Sure. Um, the elements are basically the cornerstone of all the occult sciences, but uh, they played a very, very strong role in astrology. And the elements, simply put, are water, earth, air, and fire. And so uh, there will be, we have 12 signs of the zodiac, so three signs will be assigned to each one of the element. So the water signs, for instance, Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces, are all about their interior emotional life. They feel things very deeply. Uh, these are the signs that have the very rich uh, imagination, the very powerful private emotional life. They can be very emotional, but actually talk very little about it. Um, they, feelings are meant to be felt as far as a water sign is concerned. And they're very image-oriented. Uh, the earth signs are all about health and wealth. Um, that's uh, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. And the big thing that the earth signs are drawn by is a question, which is how do you live in a world where everything ultimately falls apart? So the earth signs are very concerned about the passing of time, about money, about sheltering, about providing, about making the most of their resources, and that's what makes them the most resourceful of all uh, the elements. Air, uh, Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius is all about relationships, building bridges to other people. And so what matters a lot to them is how to coordinate efforts between themselves and another person, whether it's in a relationship or a community effort. So it's sort of bringing people together to produce more, you know. I mean, you can work by yourself and get so much done, but if you work in a group, the idea is that you get more done. So for air, the idea is society, how you behave, how you interact, are you polite, you know, etiquette. You know, these are the things that are very important to them. And then finally, the fire signs are the sign of the spirit. So it's all about their excitement, their passion, uh, their temperamentalness. Where water feels, it doesn't necessarily express Fire signs express, you know exactly what they think about any sort of subject. And the fire signs, of course, are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. And for fire, the big thing is myself. If, if air is about relationships, you've got the word we, W-E. Well, for fire, you take the W and flip it upside down to make an M, and you get me. And for the fire signs, what matters is making a personal difference, showing up in people's life and making a personal difference. And they believe in the uniqueness of an individual that no two people are alike. So these four elements and how they appear and interact in your chart are going to be important. Sometimes people have a balance of them, and sometimes people might be missing one or two. Uh, sometimes people might have a sun and fire, but you know, uh, five of the ten planets in astrology and water signs. So that's going to affect and change the temperament of the horoscope itself. And that is exactly what Gary and I were noticing when we did our cosmic calendars this week. I was born under the fire sign of Aries, and I have six fires in my chart. So there's a compatibility there. I mean, that's fire all the way. Right. Gary, born in Virgo, is an earth sign, but the most amount that he has in his chart is water. And right. so um, now the water and, and the earth are compatible because mm -hmm. um, you talk about the compatibility of earth and water together and air and fire together. Right. And, and I was just, um, I was curious 
about, um, you know, the fact that he's got like five or six waters in his chart, but he's an earth sign. So I guess it's not a conflict then. It just... Well, it's, it's actually very complementary. And when you look at your two charts together, basically you're going to be more the yang and he's going to be more the yin. You know, you're going to have yes. more of the fiery, this needs to be done, this has to be yeah. expressed, we have to bring yep. this up, we have to show this, you know. And he's going to have more of an earth and a water, which is like, maybe we don't show all of it, maybe we don't have to do it so urgently, maybe we don't have to do it right away, or let's take some time to reflect or, or contemplate or think about this. You know, and so those can be different dynamics that show up in, 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 in both of you. Uh, for you, you may have a very strong need to, you know, have something done right now, urgently, this instant. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, my motto is do it now, and his motto is tomorrow's fine. Right. <laughs> right there is a difference between fire and when, earth and yes. water. <laughs> the spirit is willing and the flesh is lazy sometimes. That's true. Uh, you're contemplating. Regard, you're not lazy. Me, you're contemplating. I, Well, that's true. I mean, to be this interior life, to be introspective, absolutely true of me and millions of other people, because I really don't want this to be about me. That's one thing Suzanne and I insist on is that we don't bring on an astrologer, make it about us. If there's something that people have grokked as a result of hearing this, that's all to the good. You did uh, touch on something that that brought a longstanding and really hard-won realization to mind, and that is if you have a lot of water in your chart, and a lot of people who listen to this show and call in at various times for various reasons are Cancerians. We have a lot of very intuitive, sensitive people who call in, Pisceans as well. Here's the thing. I have found over many years that if I feel like conciliation is in order and I don't see it coming through the agency of anyone else, I'll put it on my own shoulders. It seems to come naturally to me. It's my preference. But what I've found painfully, and again, over many years, Christopher, is that I finally had to admit that being conciliatory, wanting to be a healer, does not guarantee or even suggest that other parties to a dispute or a negotiation of some kind are willing to reciprocate that kindness and sensitivity. There are many people in this world who live to exploit such virtues for their own benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's true, but what the beauty of astrology is, is that it's not always going to be like that. You know, um, like, for instance, you might have been trying to be conciliatory during a very fiery time. Okay, let's say you were trying to make peace between two feuding parties, um, but you were trying to make peace between two feuding parties when the sun was in a fire sign like Aries or, or Leo or Sagittarius. Well, that would be a time when it's very fiery, so the tempers are heightened. You know, so it's not going to be conciliatory during a time like that. But that's not to say that the sun moving to another sign, Cancer or Scorpio or, or Pisces, might not be a time in which those 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 flame, those, those um, fanning fires aren't brought down more. You know, and, and that the tempers don't cool, and that that perhaps would be a better time to introduce something more conciliatory. Astrology is always working with this idea that the influences and the temperaments and the energies are changing, and we're used to, okay, an energy changes, 
But what we're not always used to thinking of is there's a time when the energy changes and that you can, you know, when you work with an astrological chart, you can, you can work to actually plot out that time to the benefit, for instance, of introducing something that would be conciliatory to two parties who may be in the heat of a dispute. My, my understanding about this, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because we, we just did our cosmic calendars this week, but it seems to me that that would not necessarily change once you look at your favorable um, zodiac signs and the ones that are less favorable or less complementary, that, that that would apply every year. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, the part that I didn't get into too much in the book because I didn't want it to end up being too impossibly complicated um, is that the planets are in constant motion, okay? Um, so the planets being in motion will ameliorate that. You don't have a... What I wanted to introduce with the book was a basic template. You know, you could yes. you could take the book and look at this template and you could plot out your year. But... Not every year is Saturn going to be in Capricorn. For instance, this start year, it's going to start being in Aquarius. Well, that's going to shift and change according to the element. Okay, so if you've been struggling with um, a Saturn in Capricorn, like, for instance, Suzanne, you may have for the last two years, uh, since 2017, because Saturn in Capricorn is not friendly to a Sun in Aries, Saturn in Aquarius, which is air and complementary to your fire, becomes much more conducive and much friendlier. So you're actually moving out of a time of struggle to um, one where things are going to actually become much, much, much easier for you. Okay. And I know as a Virgo that if I am dealing with anything important, sometimes perforce, you don't, don't always get to pick your moments, from late February to late March, it's probably not a good idea for me to look for a battle. I may have one visited upon me, but that is a time of vulnerability for an earth sign like Virgo, which means like that part of the calendar, if I want to do anything significant, I really have to watch myself every year. Yes, and, and, and that's because you're a Virgo, so you're the end of summer, right? But yes. the period of time that you just described was the end of winter, which is Pisces sign. So it's Pisces time of year. So whenever the sun is furthest away from you on a wheel, okay, that's that six zodiac sign, that's six zodiac signs away or 180 degrees on the wheel. It's as far from you as it possibly can be. The sun is not able to light you. It's not able to energize you. Um, so it, it's not going to be as much or, or powerfully in your corner. And especially nowadays, if we were to add a transiting planet, Neptune is in its own sign in Pisces. That makes it even more challenging for you, Gary, as a Virgo, because that's going to be like you, you know, walking along a seashore and expecting it to be shallow. But if you take one more step out during that period of time of year, that's, that's a huge drop in the ocean. <laughs> you know, it's all of a sudden like something that was sort of walkable or navigable suddenly gets very tricky or very un unforeseen or very, um, you know, uh, treacherous. So, so, so this is the way that the ancients worked with astrology as as a calendar. So by simply, you know, the first step, by beginning with your good versus bad times of year, 
you can map out the year generally, but it will change from year to year as the planets uh, change their residency and the different signs in the chart. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm hearing myself right now. Okay, well, I'm going to go. That's not such a bad thing. <laughs> He said, I would like to read the balance of the horoscopes for today. We want to get everyone in. Sagittarius, you were right all along. But what's the point if dim-witted colleagues still miss the connection? Be ready to walk them through the finer points. And next we have Capricorn. You plan for every contingency. But nowadays, it's getting in the way of what you want to accomplish. Bring your focus back to what matters most. And Aquarius, we've heard a bit about them today. Aquarius, sometimes you can get so fixated on what's good in the long run that you forget about the day-to-day. -day. Let yourself stop and smell the roses. It's a long march to utopia. And finally, Pisces, you are in the process of laying down a strong foundation. Don't rush a process that promises to stand the test of time. Thank you for those, Christopher. I always enjoy that. It's one of the highlights of my day, and usually over breakfast, coffee. They're where I read horoscopes to Suzanne, and we just we apply them to the people in our lives, and most of the signs are covered. It's fascinating to see it play out because, uh, as with today, and it's usually the case, I will read your horoscopes, and I find that there are one or more people to whom that would be directly and immediately applicable. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for reading them. Oh, every day. Christopher, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, and if I have, I've forgotten the answer. What zodiac sign were you born under? Capricorn. <laughs> ah. Very good. So would people say that you are the managerial type? No. <laughs> that's what I think of. People, I find that Capricorns have a great capacity for managing their relationships the way you would manage a business. I know several people, male and female, who are that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wish I had better managerial skills. I'm more like the monk copying the uh, text. <laughs> Busily. Not the, no, he's not the snoozer. <laughs> not the snoozer. I'm the monk who's copying the text busily <laughs> in some far corner of the abbey. <laughs> you know, this is my opportunity to mention this, Christopher, and I've talked about this with you. I can't remember whether it was on air or off air, but I want to say this for everybody to get in touch with you and encourage you to take this up. This would be a bit of a Herculean task, I'm sure. But you are known as an authority on the history of astrology in America. You're deeply read in, in astrology, period, the history of it. But when it comes to America, for example, I found out many years ago without knowing why this was true, that a lady by the name of Evangeline Adams was regarded as the doyen of astrology in America in her day. The yes. late, great Sidney Omar who was still writing there on the uh, cusp of the 21st century, had wonderful things to say. His horoscopes were renowned, and he seemed to bring in what he called significators so that it wasn't simply the stars and planets with him. I think he was getting information from elsewhere and putting it into the mix. But when it comes to this as a an historical tableau, if you will, I would love for you to write a book that spells all of that out so that we can trace and track the history of this art and science in our own land. 
Yes, yes. My plan is to write that book, um, uh, but I had to write a couple of others first. But my plan is to absolutely write that book. Actually, the book that I'm planning um, is going to be called Trash Astrology, and it's deliberately about public uh, about mass marketed astrology and the history of mass marketed astrology in America. Uh, where we meet Sidney Omar and we meet Evangeline Adams and we also meet um, some other people from the colonial period up into uh, modern day. But it's really the argument that if it weren't for mass market astrology, even back to the founding of our country, um, astrology would have disappeared altogether once it had been thrown out of the academic uh, universities in in Germany. Um, That astrology would have disappeared and it was actually the mass marketing of astrology, those pamphlets, those day, those day-to-day uh, horoscope books that kept astrology alive and going until it could be picked up again and 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 you know pursued in different ways, whether someone's pursuit was more academic or whether someone's pursuit was more uh, commercial or more mass market. But it it tells the whole history of astrology, how it shows up in the colonies to uh, to modern day here in America. I'm fascinated by that, and I also wonder if we're down under two minutes here, but I wonder if people in colonial times had an appreciation of astrology that was like their reliance and appreciation of poor Richard's almanac, the farmer's almanac, so that there was a folk wisdom to it. Well, it's actually um, Culpepper before him, uh, before uh, Franklin, and what it was is that astrology comes over with the almanacs and the herbals. So you have to remember there was no pharmacy here for for colonists landing on American shores. So their ability to discern which medicinal herbs and when to pick them um, according to the astrological sign, this was uh, a wide practice in the American colonies. You know, I have to say this because we're getting down to our last minute or so, and that is what I said before. The cosmic calendar would make a really outstanding holiday gift for anybody that, um, because everybody is interested in what was going on when they were born and how the various uh, planets may have had an effect on their birth and what's going on now. And to create a calendar where you can actually look at the favorable times of year and the less favorable times of year to kind of, you know, decide when you're going to take on a new project or when you're going to kind of complete and wrap things up. And, you know, when you're in the middle of something, when's your high time, when's the low time? I think it's a, a really outstanding book, Christopher. And I Put wanna... it in a box, though, honey, and wrap it's, You're going to give one. Beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's not a stocking stuffer because it's a little too big. You wouldn't want to ruin the corners. There you go. <laughs> Christopher. It's, a beauty. it's an artistic work as well as beautiful Beautiful book. Literary insight in the realm of astrology. And thank you for writing it, sir. And thank you for being with us today. I love it. I love it. And happy holidays to you guys. And to you too, Christopher. All right. Coming up next. Coming up next is the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience and then American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. And tomorrow we will be back 10 a.m. Pacific time with Manson Mitchell, the Saturday edition. Until then, have yourselves a great start to your weekend, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay safe out there.